East is a region located at the crossroads of Asia, Europe and Africa. And it includes countries like Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Syria, Israel, Palestine, Iraq, Iran. The three major Abrahamic religions were born in the Middle East, Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Islam is the major religion in this region. Hello listeners and hello Bruna. <laughs> Here hello. is the topic for today, the Middle East and some of its conflicts. It is a very important region indeed, and that's why in this episode we'll be focusing on it. There are six major unsolved conflicts in this region with different conflict status and either critical or significant interest, not only for the United States, but also globally. Uh, two examples are the critical situation of the US-Iran confrontation and the significant Israeli-Palestinian dispute. Precisely. And um, in fact, the Middle East is globally very important. And uh, one of the reasons is that several of its countries are rich in oil and natural resources, which they export to the world market. Mm -hmm. Also, the swings in oil prices are major causes of cost push inflation, which um, in short means when inflation goes up because the increase in oil price makes just everything that has to be transported with gasoline more expensive. And uh, like it happened in the late 70s, the huge um, peak in oil price due to the Iranian revolution as we know it. Yeah, definitely. For instance, a conflict with Iran has significant economic implications besides the obvious political and military ones. If the US and Iran are to engage in a military conflict, Iran could attempt to block the state of Ormuz and through which 30% of the world's oil flows, which would raise oil prices globally. Yeah, the implications are really diverse. And what brings us here today is precisely our will uh, from Bruna and I, at mm. least, to understand the main reasons for the conflicts in the Middle East. I believe we can't speak about conflicts in the Middle East without making reference to some historical events, like the way the Middle East was divided by foreign powers after the world wars and yeah. the role of American foreign policy for several years, actually, and up to the present. Yes, uh, American foreign policy has affected the developments in the region all throughout the Cold War too. And the state of relations today is a result from that period in which the US wanted to establish a buffer zone against the Soviet Union's influence Uh, the U.S. has also given billions of dollars in aid and diplomatic backing to its allies in the Middle East. Fast forward today, this region still has major conflicts. Saudi Arabia and Iran, for instance, still compete for dominance and influence in the Middle East. And that has resulted in several proxy wars being fought in places such as Yemen and Syria. Um, Want to explain the meaning of proxy wars? Oh, yeah, yeah. So these are proxy wars because they are wars that were, that are between competing powers that uh, don't fight each other directly in their own countries, mm. but do get involved in foreign wars, in foreign wars, uh, supporting opposing sides. And those conflicts are very much related to ethnic divisions in sad countries. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, once, for instance, Saudi Arabia has a majority Sunni Muslim population and Iran has a majority Shia Muslim population, mm. um, in conflicts across the Middle East, Saudi Arabia generally supports Sunni groups and Iran supports Shia groups. Yeah, that is a very important, long-lasting conflict in the region, born out of the territorial distribution of World War II. Similarly, there is also the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which remains unchanged and unsolved, since it's difficult to reach an agreement between the Jews and Arab Muslims that both claim the territories are theirs. Yeah, we can go even a bit more backwards uh, in yes, time, actually. Yes, of course. Because um, actually after the end of the First World War uh, and the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the British came to control that region, and which at that time was called the British Mandate for Palestine. And throughout the 20th century, there happened mass migration of Jews to British Palestine, And that caused tensions with the existing Palestinians who were already living there. So how to divide this area between Jews and Arabs, they asked. And the million-dollar question. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, they turned so to the UN for a solution. And so in 1948, that solution was to split the land into two states, one for Jews, Israel, and one for Arabs, Palestine. So basically, the British Empire promised the same land to both groups of people at the end of World War I, and did it again, asking for UN's help at the end of World War II. Basically, yeah. I mean, during the First World War, uh, the British had promised Arabs independence in return for taking up arms against the rulers of the Turkish Ottoman Empire, who had absorbed Palestine previously. But then the British defeated the Turks, and not only did they remain in control of Palestine, they supported the declaration for the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine, which was already populated and promised to the native Arabs. I don't know about you, Bruna, but for me, this territorial division we are discussing uh, reminds me a bit of the scramble for Africa Mm. by colonial powers. Yeah. Like a scramble for Africa to uh, 2.0. And um, it's clear that such an aleatory division, at least of, as of now, of territories composed of different ethnicities eventually brings frictions. Uh, surely, from the end of World War II to the present, many conflicts and wars have broken out between Israel and their Arab neighbors, including Egypt and Syria, who don't agree with Israeli actions and settlements in the region. But the main conflict remains perhaps the one between Israel and Palestine, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. And in that sense, we have to talk about what is known as the first and then the second intifada. In these uh, events or phenomenon, Palestinians became angered by Israel's ongoing occupation of the West Bank and Gaza and then began to uprise, which progressed to suicide bombings in Israel and Israel's response by cracking down on the contested territories of West Bank and Gaza. 
Between the first and second intifadas, actually in late 80s and 19s, there were some international uh, tentatives of getting a peace agreement, right? But those were mm. usually unsuccessful. Right, you are talking about the Oslo Accords. Yeah, in fact. And uh, I was going to say the, the one in the mid-19s that happened between um, the American uh, President Bill Clinton and Israeli and Palestinian leaders uh, where they signed the Oslo Accords. And these were agreements that established a Palestinian government and the split of the West Bank basically into three sections. Mm. So one area gave Palestinians total control over security and government, about 18% of the West Bank, so... Um, and this was a remarkable achievement because it gave Palestinians self-rule for the first time. Um, one other area was designed for Palestinian government control while retaining Israeli security control there. And this was about 22% of the West Bank. And the other remaining area became completely under uh, Israeli control, about 60% of the West Bank. The thing is, as you may imagine, this uh, made the map become quite uh, messy if we mm. see which areas belong to whom. Yeah, and also those percentages are very different. I imagine each of the territories have distinct characteristics. Yeah, and some argue that the area of the West Bank that was fully allocated for Israel contains the majority of the West Bank's agricultural land, actually water and uh, mineral resources. So Palestinian companies are uh, say that are s severely restricted in accessing to those resources, which makes it difficult for them to create a sustainable economy. Yeah, but as you said before, these peace agreements are usually short-lived and that's a reason why yeah. they're... In 2020, the peace agreements were stagnating as Israel retained the control over those territories of the West Bank. Uh, the second intifada began precisely because of that, and it lasted for five long years. And in the end of those five years, more than 1,000 Israelis and 4,000 Palestinians were unfortunately killed. Yeah, and after that, the US has tried to revive the peace process. But again, it didn't work, and confrontations continued to happen throughout the last decade. Yes, because unsolved issues remain, besides the obvious one. Palestinians want to establish an independent state in the West Bank and Gaza, but hundreds of thousands of Jewish settlers now live there, and this number is still increasing. Palestinians insist that this expansion of the settlements has to stop, and they want to return to peace talks, uh, which is actually in line with the two-state solution that is most supported by foreign observers, in which Palestine becomes an independent state in Gaza and most of the West Bank, uh, leaving the rest of the land to Israel. Clear in theory, but not so simple in practice. Yeah, uh, yeah, but the alternative, the one-state solution, as it is called, with either one big Palestine or one big Israel, is likely to create more problems than the one it solves. Exactly. And yet the question remains, 
are we anywhere near a peace deal? I mean, um, in January this year, you probably saw this as well, Bruno, mm. um, this year's 2020, by the way, um, the US President Trump, alongside the Israeli Prime Minister, have presented a peace plan for this region. And this peace plan is about the rearrangement of borders, conceding a wider area of territory in the West Bank to Israel. But more critically, it also means that Jerusalem would be an undivided capital uh, for Israel now. And mm -hmm. as expected, the Palestinian president has denounced this plan. Yes, because uh, this peace plan uh, doesn't seem as an actual peace plan. It's more of an yeah. uh, advocation of the Palestinian rights, since it's very important for the Palestinians to establish the capital of their future state in East Jerusalem. Yeah, and if we analyze it, the Trump plan is a big break from previous peace proposals. Because if we look at the map, in fact, the final allocated land for Palestinians, according to this plan, is very much less than in the former accords and very much scattered. Mm. And it's weird, as you said, for us to see it being proclaimed as a peace plan when we know that at least at that stage the deal was only made between two between one of the sides mm, israel yeah. uh, which had agreed with it yeah right and uh, how the new u.s presidents will deal with this situation is yet to be seen too Uh, Palestinians continue to consider their land as illegally occupied, while Israel is being backed by the U.S. on how that's not the case. Yes, I am also curious about that. And, I mean, this country's conflicts have meant huge destructions and the creation of a massive population of displaced persons and asylum seekers, many of whom are now seeking asylum in asylum in Europe, actually. Yeah, as we have discussed already in our previous episodes. Totally, totally, Bruna. And we, I guess we can always find a bridge or at least we try to make one uh, yeah. in between our discussions. Um, once again, thank you listeners for listening to us here. And uh, thank you too, Bruna. <laughs> thank you. And yeah. let's keep on studying this and witness what next year's developments will be. See you next time. See you next time.